everyone. You are listening to My Black is Transnational. Thank you so much for joining. My name is Dr. Kalechi Bay Lamberts. If this is your first time listening to My Black is Transnational, you can find this podcast wherever you like to listen to your favorite podcast. You can also check out our website at www.blacktransnational.com, which serves as a one-stop location for all things of this podcast. You can learn our history or learn about our guests. You can also listen to podcasts there as well. You can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Black Transnational Podcast or follow me, the host, at Black Transnational underscore. So today's guest I have on is Dr. Nadia Sasso, and I'll be talking with her about her documentary titled Am I Too African to be American, Too American to be African, which was created in 2015 and was a dissertation project that evolved into something that's so much more. Um, We get into a very relaxed conversation just about, you know, her experience being from Sierra Leone, which is something that we don't, a place that we don't talk about much on this podcast. We also discuss her journey, the benefits of her being able to navigate between her homeland and her current land, how it impacts her as a mother, how it impacts her as a creative, and what stories she wants to continue to tell and how we can continue to tell our stories as transnationals. So it's a very fun episode that I hope you all enjoy. Without any further ado, let's get to the show. Welcome to season four of My Dad's Podcast, My Black is Transnational. You can find this podcast on anywhere you like to listen to your favorite podcast. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Enjoy the show. Welcome to My Black is Transnational is another episode, and I'm so glad to be able to have on the show with me a special guest who I just was, I had to talk to because I saw your work and it was, it just, it, it spoke to everything that I've been working on. And it was so good to finally see someone who was able to bring to life all the things that I've been out here trying to write research about. Um, so to have, to reach out and be able to have you reach back was such an honor. And I have on the show you know, just a cultural creative. I mean, just somebody who's a mover and shaker, a scholar, right? Uh, representing Cornell. Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, you know, upstate New York. Um, so just, I, and also Sierra Leone, right? Yes. Right. So, you know, in the building, which is, which is, you're the first person. So I have on the show, Dr. Nadia Sasso, blessing the mic. Uh, and, and we're going to just have a good time and talk. So welcome to the show, doc. How you doing? I'm doing great and I'm so happy to be here and thank you so much for reaching out and being persistent and like, girl, come on, let's do this. And now we're here, we're doing <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, so. no, like I had to, I had to, because the work you did and all the things that you're, you're currently working on, I want to know all about it. Um, and I, I want to be able to have us just talk about just your transnational experiences, because I think you have so many things that you've captured um, and I want to know why, you know, just want to know the whys uh, about it. But before we get into that conversation, for just for those who are watching, those who are listening, if you could just give them a quick, you know, introduction of who you are, what you do, what you I kind of gave you some accolades already, but right. just so you can shine a little bit more. 
<laughs> so again, I'm Dr. Nadia Sasso, and I consider myself a cultural strategist, a creative, um, all of these things simply because I love the I love the element of storytelling, mm. whether it's helping someone with their branding companies or m companies with strategic messaging to being a filmmaker and creating social content. Everything is about a story right. and especially black people owning their stories. Right. And when I say black people all over the diaspora, my goal is to create more content and films that build build the bridge, connect the gaps between those of us all over the world and really just kind of celebrate our differences, yeah. but also showcase how much we have in common. So yeah. that's just my common goal and what you can see throughout any project that I'm working on, yeah. whether as a scholar or creative. And um, it's been a really exciting journey and I'm excited to continue um, building. So, this you know, that's so that's so dope. And I and I'm curious to know like how did you go about negotiating this idea of being a creative while also being a scholar knowing and, and you have to let people know where you're from like you know where's your country okay. oh yes oh yes and i'm from sierra leone west africa family from sierra leone west africa born and raised in washington dc and now currently living in los angeles okay. and how did i get to this idea of you want negotiating i think because there was a lot of anxiety growing up right mm -hmm. um I call it transnational anxieties. And sometimes anxiety is not always a negative thing or bad thing. Let me start off by saying that. Mm -hmm. But there was this tension of like, am I too African, you know, to be American or too American to be African? And mm -hmm. the anxiety really started expanding once I started traveling back and forth to Sierra Leone mm -hmm. and then negotiating identity there and then coming back to the United States. And what did that I? Um, identity negotiation look like and how was I defining my identity for myself right but no, not only that in creating the film am I too African to be American to American to be African and showcasing it on different universities and companies around the U.S. and the world it also came to me um, that people watching it also were questioning who they were and their validity and their identity right. simply because when people can't fit you in a box or whether it's being a creative and a scholar in this sense like two boxes that don't sometimes match right. or just saying like okay you're just you know people just sometimes want to pick what's convenient you're just black or you have to pick one nationality one identity one ethnicity right. i think that makes people anxious right because they're not able to express themselves in their entirety yeah I mean that that whole idea of I hope that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. And again, that that word transnational anxiety is something that I think is fitting, especially for what this podcast is about in terms of bringing to life the transnational experiences, right? And the different types of emotions and different types of feelings and experience, like and, and just reactions to right. being transnational, right? That that whole idea of having a bridge or that you can cross and come back you know, it's something that not everyone has, or at least people yeah. choose to not utilize if they have that choice. Some people can shut it off and just say, hey, look, I'm here. I'm in a country. I'm God bless America. And, right. then, and you know, and then you just do what you do. And so we're just going to figure this out. Yeah. Right. So like, so like, so for growing up, like what, what led you to say, you know what, man, like I want to, I want to tell these stories. Like I want to bring what I see and I, because I feel like others can relate and I, and I want to tell it to everybody. So I think it go. this question ties back to your last question that I think I kind of missed. Why, how the merging of the creative and the scholar, right? Okay. And why telling these stories. So growing up, 
it was it always these conversations were always things that happened behind closed doors mm. right and so we would like we would talk about what it meant to be african or how we felt about other nationalities and yeah. ethnicities and like oh it's something you talk about in private but never in public and because of that people start reacting or acting you know a certain way depending you know depending on what situation they're in for yeah. instance in the film um you know blessing said you know people will be like oh you're african-american no and like shy away because of like stereotypes or those conversations behind closed doors yeah. or people feeling like oh you're an african booby scratcher and those again <laughs> stereotypes and conversations behind closed doors yeah. so being a scholar we talk about all these things double consciousness yes and- all these theories and scholars, but the reality is when I go back to the neighborhoods in which I come from, um, you know, in Prince George's County and the Washington DC area, nobody's talking about no double consciousness. We're experiencing double consciousness. <laughs> well, they don't, they're not rapping about they're that. Not, they're not trying to, you know, and it's not to say that no one reads or they're not smart enough. They're highly smart. They're very intellectual. You know, these conversations are being had, but without, without theorizing it so much right Mm -hmm. and what does that look like in practice so Mm -hmm. that way we're actually doing things that impact our community and actually bring us close together so that's where the creative came in so how can I creatively have these conversations and bridge the gap between the scholarly world and what's happening in the real world for us to really understand what's happening to us to be better people as a whole and to also build better communities yeah yeah, and I and I feel like you did a masterful job with that because that documentary in itself is a masterpiece because I think it, especially for those who are from where we're from and and you brought those, I mean you spoke on everything right as far as just growing up like how our parents dating right just even right. going back like speaking a language right like right. all those things and and it was yeah. so cool to be able to see those things and for me right where. I have my 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 wife, my partner is African American. And although she's an exposed to the African culture, but for her to be able to say, like, man, like, all y'all did all y'all grow up in the same household because you all are you've said this before, right? You've said these types <laughs> of things before. You've brought these issues right. up, right? And so yeah. it's it was good it, to know you're not crazy. Like, oh you you too, like you, you too, right? And it's so it's like, man, okay, so yeah. you so yeah, your mom wants you to be a doctor and lawyer, but if you did something else, you you're considered a yeah. failure too, right? Like so, it's yeah. like, so yeah. So look, so look, the Cornell PhD that's theirs. You know what I'm right. saying? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. The PA, you know what? You, that's yeah. It, it ain't I'm really giving mine. you it's, yours, right? I don't even know where it is. Like here you go. Can I can I go back to making films now? You Thank know, you very like, much. Yeah, like oh my, my daughter is a she's a doctor from Cornell. You know, it's like now, nah, hey, listen, they beating their chest on that one. Like right, they look, can't they, they can't say like, nothing to you. Ma- what did she major in? She's from Cornell. Do you know what Cornell is? Just focus on that part. <laughs> Cornell. So, no, I mean, I think, so then for, for me, it's like, you spoke to my heart in terms of being able to speak in a language that others that can relate to. Because that's the reason I, I made this podcast, which was, right. I was, I was, I mean, I did all this research. I'm out here trying to explain to you, you know, acculturation and all these right. other terminologies. And it's like, but you don't, I mean, you're not, you're not here for that. <laughs> like, right. you just exactly. want to know what it means. The whole dictionary and define each word exactly. when really it's not that, it's not that deep. I think we can still have, again, I'm, I stand wholeheartedly that you can still have intellectual conversations. Yeah without you know not to take away from all the work that we did or the scholarship or the research but I think it's just as it's just as great and I say that because 
people took Lemonade, Beyonce's entire album, which I and made a whole dissertation, which I'm sure when she was creating that album, she was not thinking, not thinking about, about the whole thing. Yes, and trust, trust. <laughs> and any, you know, anything, any other um black feminism. I don't think she was really, she may have subconsciously, but I don't think the themes and the theories that we pull out of even pop culture, I don't even think that when creating this body of work that these artists were even thinking about that, but scholars can theorize anything. Exactly. Right. And so now you just brought, you brought up something that I got it. I got it. And I ain't got no list of questions. So we're just talking. Right. <laughs> so like you just brought up the whole idea of Beyonce. Right. Mm -hmm. And now in your documentary, we talked a little bit about that gap that exists between the African-American, you know, um, in American descendants of slaves and the African immigrant community, the new age African immigrant communities. So do you think with the with the move of what's been happening with Beyonce, and I've had conversations about this in past podcasts and I've had people speak on it, but like I want your opinion. Do you think that the embracement of like Africa as King and Lion King and all these things, do you consider that like cultural appropriation or would you consider that like the embracing and trying to help bridge that gap between both um, black communities? So I actually do not see it as cultural appropriation because I feel like cultural appropriation happens within, I don't think you can be in the same race and mm. culturally appropriate. I think there has to be like a different type of hierarchy and class, you know, class and mm -hmm. just different things that apply. And I, I don't think that black people can culture, culturally appropriate other black people personally. Okay. Yeah. So with that being said, I do think that there's some embracing, right? But I do think that someone of Beyonce's stature, which is where I think people like me and you could come in, mm -hmm. <laughs> is when creating these projects um, or when trying to tie in some of these things, bringing in some cultural experts to help make sure that the messaging and the appreciation shines through, right? Mm -hmm. And that you're really paying homage to the cultures that you're, you know, that you're expressing and you're making it all, you know, all make sense. Yeah. But her, I think with anybody you have to, what I do think is happening here is that when you enter any situation, everyone should always know what privilege they're coming with. Mm -hmm. And Beyonce comes with a lot of privilege, yeah. right? Yeah. And so how are you really, when you know your privilege, how are you making sure that you're using it in the right way? Yeah. Um, and so with that being said, I think her sharing a platform with other African artists is amazing. Mm -hmm. But I also firmly believe that I know this is a twofold conversation. Okay. So with her doing that, I do think there was some appreciation and there was, I think she loved it and she just wanted to be a part of it. And she really admired the culture. Right. Mm -hmm. But could there have been, I think there could have been maybe some more behind the scenes conversation. There could have been more storytelling, right. Mm -hmm. To really get people who are not necessarily just the Africans or even, you know, anyone else could give them, make them feel like they're, this was mutually beneficial or yeah. this was like a, you know, a true collaboration at its finest. Yeah. But personally, I don't think that there's any major issue with Beyonce and Black is King and any of the above. Okay. To me, yeah. I thought it was beautiful for my, to be raising a daughter who could see that imagery and, and see how fun it was and how modern it was okay. and everything else. Okay. However... I'm really looking into, because of things like this, I'm really looking into creating another documentary and an extension of my dis or research or this project, how fashion, music, and all these things play a big part yeah. in yeah. the let's culture talk, and how it. we identify and why we, you know, why it's so cool. Let's talk so a lot it. of people think it's so cool, like it's just taking off. All of this is just a new thing. That's why everybody want to get on it. But look, right. I'm here to say that we've been on. Right. Ain't, ain't nobody trying to get like, 
to be honest, everybody knows that's where it started. So for it's ironic that everyone thinks Afrobeat culture, African print, all these things Let's are now. talk about it. Oh, they're all trendy. No, it's always been there. It was there first. Yeah. And so we're not a trend and we're not, people are not co- like, we were always there. And I think we need to be reminded of that. So yeah. then we will be so offended all the time. Yeah. It's crazy, right? Because I just, I just talked about this in the episode, like a couple, I just interviewed someone else before, um, the fashion designer. And one mm. of the things that we talked, he's from Ghana, right? And one, right. one of the things that we talked about is like, you know, back in the day, for you know, when we were younger, um, for him, at least, he had mentioned something along the lines of like, you know, it wasn't cool to be African. And I think you you, you, you know what it is. Yeah. It wasn't cool. Yeah. And, and we'll talk more about your country because I, there's something in, inter, interracial that I want to bring up. Um, yeah. But it was never cool. And for him, it was like, man, back then, like we just... We just claimed we were from Jamaica, which I was like, damn, like you finessed because I wish I could at least say that. I didn't even think about like saying claiming right. Jamaica. When I, I was never like, thought about you that. You know what either. I'm saying? I was like, you finessed because you were able to get away with that. But the idea of when did it become cool to be African, that Afrobeats movement, the Azonto movement, right? That mm-hmm. whole thing became, it became, that's when it became cool and trendy mm-hmm. to be African. Because I was saying like, you can't say or bring one artist now including Beyonce who doesn't have one Afrobeats type of song right since mm-hmm. 2018ish like somebody has at least one even Omarion of all people like has one mm-hmm. right and it's like how this this is this a good thing to be able to help bridge these gaps that exist in you know the African-American community and the African immigrant community. And some people are like, yeah, it's cool. Like we're coming together. We're figuring out, you know, music is bringing us together. But some people are like, yo, you're also not necessarily embracing it for what it truly is. And you're just kind of looking at it from a superficial level. And I think mm-hmm. like the fashion and all these things are, are really becoming um, trendy and it's becoming part. I mean, it's, but it's like, do you think we're being exploited or not? No, I don't. So... I don't think we're being exploited. So in doing my research, right, a couple of years ago, or my, I don't know, talking to my advisor, she was just like, you know, um, a country isn't considered developed or, you know, one until like it has like an industrial or textile industry. Mm. Like it's like the standard, right? Mm -hmm. So with that being said, so until like the continent, so basically the continent has all these things that have been, providing culture, creativity, and all these things to the world, but Mm -hmm. we were never considered developed because we never figured out textile. So it's just that oversimplified in a way. And I say that to say that, okay, why is that important? Or how does that relate to what we're saying? If we had like really developed systems that not to say like be Eurocentric or do it, you know, what Mm -hmm. the white people are doing, but we had basically industrialized and set systems for whether it was fashion, textiles, um, music, culture, we wouldn't really be having this conversation, right? right? right. So we're having this conversation because we've always been there, but we always, I guess goes back to the comment of like, our parents wants to be doctors and engineers. We always took it as like a, oh, this is just like a hobby and it's fun, right? Right, right. Until everyone else was like, oh, no, this is business. And Mm -hmm. so now I think the only thing that we're late to is just the business aspect of thing, you know, taking it to the next level business-wise. But it's in our DNA. It's what we've been doing. We just never formalized it. Yeah. So, so like, do you think that, especially from your experience going back and forth, right? And I want to say first, what, what was your experience the first time you got back home? 
Like the first time you got home, I mean, was it different than what it is now as an adult when you go back? Or have you brought your daughter back? Yeah, so okay. we even lived there for a year and a half. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, because I was doing research while I was there. So right before I were right before I started dissertating. Um, and so it was the first time I remember, I, I think I went back like I was a senior. First time I ever went back was like a senior in college or something, okay. so 2021. 20, okay. okay. And I remember it distinctly because my parents didn't really want me to go because, you know, Sierra Leone had this extensive civil war. Yeah. So they were really worried and they hadn't been back in so long. And I ended up getting a grant with some friends to do, um, to do, uh, we had a nonprofit on maternal health in Sierra Leone. Okay. So when my parents found out, they found out in like an award ceremony and they were like half clapping, half like, what the hell, this girl's going to Sierra Leone. <laughs> oh. uh, Surprise. <laughs> I'm sure they were like happy, but could kill me at the same time but then going and going against them and still going that was like the number one hurdle but then getting there and then just breathing the air and then just seeing the water mm. and Leone is so coastal and that the people even though no matter what's going on they were just always like amazing and resilient and smiling and i think too it made me understand why my parents did certain things and behaved a certain way mm -hmm. and it was just good to really see like where a lot of the cultural the rules the norms and everything that they tried to instilling you in a host country mm -hmm. where everything stemmed from mm -hmm. so i think it was definitely life-changing for me and ever since then i was like always going back and always doing work there and even lived there i tried to live there like twice but every time <laughs> I tried to move there, something monumental would happen and then I would have to like um, come back and then revisit it again. So, but looking forward to to building there and hey, making that a home as well again. Yeah, so, so then as far as building there, do you, you know, what, do you, what are your thoughts as far as being able to bring more African-Americans and expose them to Sierra Leone? Because I see it's happening in Ghana. Um, mm -hmm. You know, everybody's going back for Ghana, Afrochella. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and even in Nigeria, to some degree, everybody goes and does what we call Detsy December. Right. But like, what about right. Sierra Leone? Like, what is, is there, is there, I mean, I know in, in Louisville. Oh, it's the same thing. Everyone goes back in December. Okay. Um, Especially the diaspora. So I may not see my cousins or like, you know, the cousins that are family friends ever. Right. But you go in Sierra Leone in December, you're going to see everybody, like a family reunion. That's, that's dope. <laughs> It's like a family reunion. So that's, I miss that. I haven't done that in a while. I mean, after living there, you realize, wow, it's really different when Dirty December versus the rest of the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, um, but that that's always fun. And I definitely think that um, I've definitely had a chance to bring like friends and African-Americans to Sierra Leone and they've had nothing but an amazing experience. I definitely would love to do something that was more like ideally on one of my goals is to do something where you're kind of i would love to bridge the bridge the history between like senegal sierra leone ghana nigeria yeah. because i feel like especially sierra leone is often left out of the discourse when you we talk about african-american history yeah it's given just the capital alone being freetown yeah. and so i would love to you know It'll be it'll be lit. It'll be turned up, but it'll also be a history connecting the dots to make it all make sense. Because yeah. 
we're especially the west coast of africa we're all kind of cousins we are and i don't think people know that and even related to the jamaicans yeah. from the maroons yeah. to even cuba like there's so much happening there and so if it could be a trip and even working with scholars like yourself or creatives and everyday people just a trip that we have fun we turn up we really see the culture in every day because that's part of the cultural experience absolutely but then we're also like all right banana island bonds island yes. you know yeah I, 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 that would be a vibe and listen include me we said well, i just gotta make sure <laughs> my, my kids are out these diapers hopefully you know we can <laughs> we can do that but that's something that for me growing up in chicago and mm -hmm. being in my nigerian ghanaian community Sierra Leone was a country that I never even knew were was here. It's like yeah, the, you, you all are the the un, in, everybody talks Niger, Niger, Ghana, Ghana. Like, yeah. but it's like yo, we got cousins from Sierra Leone. It's like we never right. heard about them. It's like I'm your right. long lost cousin, and it's like Sierra right. Leone. What's that? Like, so why yeah. why is that? Even in college, right? When we talk about like African cultural associations and African student organizations, it's always, it's always you know who to vibe. Like, it's, it's always yeah, you already know you're gonna be outnumbered by the Nigerians, Nigerians and the Ghanaians, and it's like and then East African. So then how how was that for you growing up, right? Like I mean, it's always been like that. Sierra Leone has always been the minority. I mean, if you look at us on the map, we're kind of like one of the smallest countries, right? Um, but we played a big part in the slave trade because we're probably the most coastal mm -hmm. of the mm -hmm. countries in terms of easy port, easy access in, easy access out. Yeah. So when they were taking slaves, it was easy to take us. And when they were turning them back and didn't really care to take them back to where they came from, they just dropped them off in free time. Yeah. So, and we have a unique history because we have like a whole tribe, the Creole tribe, which are descendants of slaves. Oh. And then Creoles, the Creolization, the making of something new. So they're also a hodgepodge of you know jamaican you know they wow. also have sectors of the creole tribe that yeah. are um eku and related to yoruba culture in nigeria so it's just so much that we're just not you know we're not one you know yeah. if, if that makes sense we're kind of multicultural even in that sense so i don't know why sierra leone is underrated everything every only thing people know really about is blood diamonds and the diamonds and everything else but there's so much more to the country. I think it's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. I think it's very, un you know, it has like over 16 untouched beaches. Like you can be on a beach and feel like you're on your own private mm -hmm. island. And it's just underrated, you know? Yeah, no, it's it's something that I want to, which is why I'm, I'm glad you're on the show because I want the listeners to know more about that country because I think it's been heavily dominated by people from, you know, Ghana and, and, um, and Nigeria and even, you know, some parts Cameroon, you know, right. but, but never Sierra Leone like that. My first yeah. exposure to it was, uh, to people from there was when I went to Florida for my postdoc and I was like, Oh, like I met some students. I was advising yeah. some students and, uh, for their, their African student organization. And we had some oh, students wow. from, I was like, yo, you from Sierra Leone? Like you're the first one. Like, what's yeah. it like? Well, who are you? Like what, you know, what, what, what do y'all eat? Do you eat jollof rice too? Like it was so. Yeah, we eat jollof rice too. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. So what's the, what's the best, what's the best food from there? For me, cassava leaves. Oh, cassava potato leaves. leaves. Okay. So what, yeah. so now. Cassava leaves is the leaves that grows with the cassava. Yeah, but you all and eat the actual leaves. Yeah, we eat the actual leaves in like a stew with palm oil. Ah, and see, then the potato leaves. Yeah. And that's that's crazy because for us, like, you know, Nigerians, we eat the eba, which is the fufu, but it's made from cassava yeah. grain. Right. right. So we do eat the fufu cassava grain, but then we have the we have a lot of greens. Ah. Yeah, we have a lot of greens. Yeah. Okay. So then do you still eat the food? Do you still eat the food up in LA? 
Yeah, I cook it and everything. So yeah, how do you I'm, have? How do you get access to that? Is there? I because when I've been to LA once, I've been to Hollywood. Oh, to- okay. So I so funny enough, <laughs> I was in the Asian because I get the Asian super, um, supermarkets. I get my seafood from there, and yeah. they have potato leaves. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so actually, they end up. I, I want to say like some. They actually grow some of the leaves. They just have a different name for it. Mm-hmm. And then um, there's big Nigerian and Ghanaian markets that I go to in um, in LA. And then also my dad goes back and forth to the East Coast. So if I need something on the East Coast, I can also, he'll just, he he's the king of putting things in his suitcase and yeah. bringing it over. Yeah, so yeah. and then I have an aunt who imports things as well from the country and I can just go to her house and pick it up and I have yeah. another aunt who just opened up an online African food store so she'll ship you whatever you need wherever see like that's and that's how we've been and that's actually published a paper about this whole thing about our African diets and how we maintain right. it and how we have to rely on our you know pretty much our, our transnational connections through family right. to mm-hmm. import and export these goods yep. that are nostalgic to our homes about this stuff. And it's so cool to see that stuff still like being present because we know in the East Coast, that's where all the Africans are at. You don't matter where you're yeah. from, Ethiopia, Nigeria, yeah, we all in the I feel so sorry for my daughter because she definitely doesn't have half of the upbringing that I had in terms of like cultural events every weekend, mm-hmm. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, your friends are your cousins. It's like she has, she's never even had a big birthday party because we... <laughs> You know, when you have a birthday party, like the whole, it's like a family reunion. Uh And so, but I think it's because we don't live on the East Coast. It's not the same, you know, everyone's on the East Coast and we're in LA. So, so what's like, what do you try to, what do you try to, as far as from what you brought from the culture, right? This whole idea of like, am I too African to be American, too American to be African? Like, so how does that, how does that kind of like matriculate into your daughter and you being a mother? How do these negotiating these identities, how does that play a role with how you parent? So how I parent, so I realized that she doesn't really have as much community as I did growing up. We have community, but it's like friends yeah. here and there. So I have my parents move to LA. So oh, my nice. dad's back and forth between the East Coast and my mom is there permanently. Okay. So that way, you know, I have some cultural reinforcement. Yeah. Because between work, it's just little things like speaking English exactly. all the time. Exactly. Because you're just, you you do it so much at work, you have to deal with everyone else. Then when you come home, it's just easy for you to just do that unless you intentionally tell yourself, okay, we're speaking Creole from now on. But I had a head start. She's been going to Sierra Leone since she was like three. Okay. And then we live there. So this is the longest we've stayed away, I think, because of the pandemic. So we're going again this year. And I think it's just important for me to constantly take her back, um, have her spend, you know, at minimum a month when we visit. Yeah. And really just keeping her around as much family as I can and expressing to her, you know, this is what we do. This is why we do it, you know, and things like that. Um, But she has way of a more of an African influence than I thought. It's just the little things. I don't know if because my partner is Nigerian. She's like, "Uh uh-uh, like for everything. She just has like little everyday nuances and then or like she's like, yeah, no, Wahala, you know, Aww. and and um, I'm like, you know, what? Where you get that from? And I'm like, oh, OK, she is more, you know, she's a little bit more African than I give her credit. That's for. love. That's love. <laughs> Especially the I, I, you know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, and, it's, and I love that because I'm, you know, as a dad, it's mm-hmm. it's one of my biggest it's one of my biggest like I'm not going to say fear, but concern, worry. In addition to, of course, like safety, but it's like, right. I'm like, man, how do I find a way to make sure that my kids 
can be able to still still have hold to those roots that I, you know, I moved to America at a young age, but the language, right? Just being able to maintain those things. Like my mom and them didn't speak the language to me like that, where I understand it, but not enough to be confident enough to speak it. So right. like now I'm like, okay, well, I want my kids to be able to speak it. I want them to be able to go, but of course you can't go because of the pandemic now, right. right? But it's just like, I, my biggest fear is like being the one who is, I'm the one in, that's the reason why that connection, that rope that ties us back home yeah. is well, broken. Well, it definitely takes a village. So like yeah. my daughter still keeps in communication with her nanny from Sierra Leone. Okay. And so they're, of course, speaking Creole when they talk on the phone, you know, and <laughs> um, I can't, I wouldn't say it's all me. I would say just keeping people around that can, can, in, you know, engage her in ways that I'm, I sometimes may be too busy because I'm, a, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And my family and my parents, and then just being intentional about the trips. Mm-hmm. And I make her call everybody auntie and uncle. Like, yep, that's, that's, that's cultural. <laughs> that's know. universal across. Yeah, just that's like universal. the universal little things. Yeah. And then, of course, like the music, listening to music. So, like, when her friends come over, I'm like, do y'all know what Afrobeats is? And we're going to listen to some. Okay. And just really just getting her to be happy about who she um, who she is. And, like, I remember, like, two years ago, I organized the black history show at her school okay. so you know and then bringing in things there right mm-hmm. and introducing it to all the kids so then that way she's proud of you know her culture and who she is so this there's a lot of nuances I wouldn't say there's a rule book or a book on how to do it just involve as many people in your village as possible to help you along the way yeah so now let's talk about bringing Issa Rae into this, right? And it's interesting because, and the only reason I'm bringing her up is because in my first, when we, the first episode of this uh, season, I was telling my wife, right, that, you know, there are lots of transnational people who are now coming out of the woodworks, right? I don't know whether it was a pandemic, whatever, people going, like I talked about, people going back to Africa now in Mm -hmm. in droves, but it's like, there are lots of people that you didn't know were African that, Mm -hmm are coming out and, you know, really expressing their African pride, right. Tiffany Haddish, right? And even Issa right. Rae, like, so I brought up right. Issa Rae because I was like, yo, you know, Issa Rae is also African. Like, she's transnational. Right. Yeah. My wife is yeah. like, what? For real? Like, yeah. I, you know, yeah. so it was, so when, when she saw her in the documentary, right, she was like, wait, hold on. She from, she's like, she African, African, right? She, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, because she watched Insecure and she's just like, right. I don't see it. So do you find yourself, <laughs> do you find yourself having to, you know, like, I guess pass or like, you know, people like that, um, is that, is that something that you have to deal with now currently where, you know, because you don't talk with an accent or anything of that nature, how, how does it work in your field as a creative, as a producer, as, you know, entertainer? I mean, you definitely have to go out of your way to like, let people know who you are because yes, I can definitely, I don't have an accent. I mean, maybe sometimes it'd be like, oh, people be like, oh, your features or where mm-hmm. you're from, you know, but um, that doesn't happen all the time. Some people say like where I'm from, like, okay, I'm from DC by way of Sierra Leone. Right. And, you know, you just have to be very intentional about, you know, repping your, you know, where you're from yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, in the industry. And I try to do that every, every moment I get uh-huh. um, and make it a teachable moment. But also I think it helps people make in this industry, it makes you memorable, right? Because mm-hmm. how many people do you meet from Sierra Leone right. or some of these countries right. to be very honest. And for Issa Rae in particular, you know, I think that what I learned from making this documentary is that identity is fluid, right? And I think, but you know, being raised by her dad is Senegalese, and then I think her mom's African American from New Orleans. Got it. 
I think in growing up mostly in, in um, Los Angeles, I think they moved around a little bit, even lived in Senegal. I think she related more to like LA, you know, black culture, which is totally fine. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And I think that's what she, rep- you know, that's what she represents or relates to more. And I think she still does incorporate her. I know she speaks French and I know she does incorporate her Senegalese um, heritage, but I think it, she just went with what felt more natural to her or easier to express. Yeah. So now do you think in, in, in that, in LA and especially when it comes to, you know, the, the creative, the art, what is music, movies, fashion, documentaries, it seems like there's a lot more of us children of immigrants or even immigrants who came at a, at a young age who are starting mm-hmm. to grow in numbers in this field, whether it's against our parents' wishes or with our parents' yeah. blessings. But do you think there's enough space in Hollywood, you know, people like Issa who's breaking these doors and opening up opportunities for people like Yvonne or G and things like yeah. that, right? Like, you know, do you think there's enough space for us to continue to tell our stories in the way that it needs to yeah, be told? Yeah, for sure. Um, for sure. I think there's way more than enough room. I don't think there's enough of us even telling it. I don't mm. think that, I don't even think we've scratched the surface. To really? Be very honest. Really? No. I think that, okay, Insecure, great. You know, right. all these shows, Harlem, you know, Run the World. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of different, you know, we're seeing more of ourselves on screen, but mm. I recently started an app, Blader Box, with my partner, Passion, and Blader stands for Black Creator. Mm. And I'm on set all the time sometimes. And she um, is a, she was um, formerly at Netflix and we don't really see, you'd be surprised how behind the scenes, there's not really people that, many people that look like us. So there's really? still more room to tell these stories. Sometimes in the writer's room, there's not that many of us. Mm. So then we're not still telling these stories. Um, DPs, how you shoot it. You could tell a story just holding the camera, right? Yeah. How you shoot the camera. <laughs> there's still not a lot of DPs, yeah. you know? There's still, the storytellers range when you talk about the film and the creative industry and the entertainment industry. And there's still not enough of us. And this question is, oh, where do we find these black creatives? <laughs> yeah. So I think that there's definitely a lot more room. We definitely can have more shows. I mean, shoot, even for me, like I'm looking for funding to how can we create more content, you know, about the first gen and the second gen experience, right? We yeah. really have yet to get that in a, in a show or series or layered series, yeah. right? Yeah. I know yeah. my uncle's working. I have an uncle that's a writer and he has a really dope show that I hope gets green, you know, lit that talks about the new, think about the wire, but like the African immigrant version of it, Ooh. right? So I think- there's a lot happening and I think there's a lot of stories that need to be told. Okay. And I think that we just, we, we have the talent, we have everything it takes. Sometimes we just don't have the resources. So what do you think is the most important story that needs to be told immediately? Ooh, I can't really say that. Okay. Okay. You know. <laughs> the most important, but for me, yeah, I think the most important story that I want to tell now, the two most important stories that I would like to talk about is really just how fashion and music industry play a part in identity and how we see ourselves and mm-hmm. how we express ourselves. Yeah. Um, that's really, really important to me to kind of put together a project that expresses that. Yeah. And the second is, and I'm still playing with this because I've had, I'm still processing it myself, but the experience of the first and second gen 
Africans mm-hmm. as they come here to this host country. And not all of us, I know we seem like the model minority, right? Sometimes as the newer African immigrants, right? right? right. But right. also what are the nuances to some of the trauma, PTSD that we deal with? Exactly. And sometimes the crime and all the different experiences, we don't hear about those experiences because they're covered up, they're buried, yes. they're skeletons that no one talks about. Yes. But, and it hits us pretty hard because, our parents don't even know what the hell is going on because this is not their country. <laughs> right, right. You know, and you, you speak to something that I, that I think resonates with me as far as the story that I want to be told, you know, want yeah. to get told is the that experience of the one, the yeah. first and second generation transnational right. experience. The, the idea of, you know, what influences our decisions isn't mm-hmm. just from what we're dealing with here. Yeah, a lot right. of the choices we make are also influenced from what's going on, you know, across the Atlantic Ocean. Right. Um, and, and a lot of the choices we make is is meant sometimes for them because, you know, you're not you have uh, to some degree, especially for those who are first generation who mm-hmm. came to the country to seek that better life. A lot right. of them have that pressure of having to be responsible for your or family other. here and there. Yep. Yeah. Right? Because and then, and then we don't even hear the stories too of <laughs> after living in Sierra Leone, get, America is ghetto. <laughs> what about those who downgraded that come back here? Like, I don't understand. Yeah. Where are those stories? Because yeah. a lot, it's a downgrade to some people. Yeah. Like, you can't, your degrees don't translate. Yeah. Your family was this back home, and then they come here, and the next thing you know, you're a taxi driver. Right. right? Right. This could be a whole thing on taxi drivers. You can do a whole thing because, it, yo, we can speak for hours and hours because it's just, again, that that's shifting. You shifting class, right? You, yeah. are, you running things back in the crib. You living Literally. good. Okay. You said something, a point. You want to know what it was like. The real mind-boggling thing about the first time landing in Sierra Leone uh-huh. was how my class shifted. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something I spoke about before, but... But here, like you're low, you ain't nothing over here. Right. Then I right. go over there. It's it was like, like talk about handling privilege at the at another rate that you don't even know what the heck is going on and what you're supposed to do with it, no. and how do you not abuse it, but at the same time have fun, mm-hmm. but at the same time, ooh, this is ooh, this is different. Like different. it was different, it's different, very different. You know, definitely got on the plane a different class, got on the plane again, different class, different class. <laughs> And, you know, and that's the part, you know, that I'm, I try to express to my African-American brothers and sisters, my wife included, and I think she sees a little bit of it, but it's like, you can, you good, you can, um, you can get off that plane and you, do you, like, you're sitting here in this country being treated like, you know, like you're second class when your ancestors built this country, but it's like, you can go to Africa and you, you're welcomed like, yo, like, like come on you treated like you're treated like you know quality of life is better do you know in the beginning i was like oh my god these people don't get work done like they're like look you gonna be working at the five o'clock you work here's your beer but we ain't working so you gonna be working by your goddamn on self <laughs> yeah it's like why are you stressing you know it's, yeah. and it's so different and that's why i try i'm like yo if you decide to just come and just be exposed to it. You realize that, like, the money that you're investing and in trying to work crazy for, you can get you a nice little mansion and build you a nice little comfortable a life. Nice beach property, a nice beach. Nice, front, and you can still you can do. still hustle here. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, that's the problem. Exactly. That's the benefit of being transnational. You can right. still grind here, but when you go over there, you right. got you some wealth. 
that can last you and your kids, you know? And so it's, that's, these are the stories that I think we can tell. And I'm, I'm excited for whatever yes, you, there's you, so many, yeah, there's so many stories. Now, now all I need is everybody to cut a check now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, you want somebody to hustle. Listen, this is a place for you to, uh, this is a place for you to put it out there. Um, yeah. So yeah, I just need to, um, well, really I would love if for me, I have the ideas, I have the willpower I think for me, I think the sad part about it is being in the entertainment industry and the film industry, It we don't really have much of us there because it costs a lot of money to mm. make these projects and the funding and the resources are just not there no matter how talented you are. And I'm a person who I don't take no for an answer. Okay. I, I, I open my mouth like this is what I want. This is what I want to get. Yeah. But it's been a really hard industry to break into simply because it costs a lot of money to make a great project. Man. So why why is it not especially with this growth of you know people who lead these similar lives as children or even African immigrants or even you know children of African immigrants, why haven't we been able to come together and be able to do something to be able to create a you know a production company or something like that that can help fund raise funding and and tell these stories and do all these tell all these stories, I you know I don't really know I think sometimes it takes like. You know, I really hate that sometimes we need a messiah, but then sometimes, you know, like the, you play with the idea of having a messiah and not having one, right? Mm. To kind of galvanize and lead people a certain way. But I think I think there's a lot of nuances to it. There, you know, sometimes it's just hard to get people on the same page and then that's how different things are built. But mm. I think, I don't know. I think it's still not too late. I think it's oh, better late than never. It's yeah. just about making sure we're organ, you know, it's organized and people know where it's, you know, funds are going and we're able to deliver everything that we, you know, everything that we need. Mm. Okay. Cause yeah. I'm thinking, but, but there's so many, I mean, but then there's so many people like Will Smith that has a production company. Issa Rae has a production company. Right. LeBron James has a production company. Right. Um, in my experience, even reaching out to a lot of these people with these production companies is they're not really messing with the African stories and why not a little bit too much because it's not something they're familiar with. Mm -hmm. Um, and but they have they, people like you who can like. Yeah, but they're scared that they're gonna people are gonna respond like they do when Beyonce makes Black as King. Ah, <laughs> facts, way to bring it around circle, you know. And it's crazy. So when when I was um in the summer, I was I spent the summer doing like some fellowship in in New York City. Um, I'm upstate New York. I'm in, I'm in Syracuse okay. right now. But um, yeah, I'm right. That's why I said upstate New York. You know, that's where I'm working at now. And when um Black Panther came out, right? You mm -hmm. know, everybody was Wakanda forever. We all had our African garments on. Again, this was like the first wave. Right before Beyonce came out with African King, this was one of the first ways where everybody was like, "Oh, it's dope to be African, you know? It's cool. Like, let's represent Wakanda forever, you know." But then, right. like, I remember talking to a, a brother who was like, "Man, like, this needs to happen more. Why can't you know, like, why can't they have people like us who are creatives, but also maybe even scholars, who can be able to consult and articulate and help them in the creation oh. of their." That's what I've been trying to do. And that's also, I do it for PBS actually right okay. now. But it's like, where, what is this title and how do you like, hey, I'm so-and-so, I can help you make sure your content is great. And yeah. I'm an expert. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so I do it for certain publications, but it tends to be publications that are historically, who are like PBS, they're rooted in history that's and true. different things like yeah. that. The bigger companies, entertainment-wise, they do hire consultants or developers, right, to help with this research, but they don't really knock on the door of, you know, of people like ourselves. But also, we're 
unless somebody like me is good at branding or storytelling or even pushing what I do and why you should hire me, there yeah. really is no lane or any place where like, let's say you want to create a movie. I'm thinking of, let's say LeBron wanted to create this movie tomorrow. Where right. would he go to type in the internet to say, I need a cultural you know, strategist exactly. or a cultural creative producer, right? Yeah. You know, it's just something, all of these things are so new that it's really, really hard to even know, narrow it down, where to find them. What do you even call these people? I mean, I honestly, Where'd I think you go? unless you're going to university and find a professor, but but even I don't think you need to do that either. I feel like that's even of a reach. That's even more of a reach because I feel like well, the, I'm just saying, yeah, where, where, where would they, you know? Yeah. And I think people like you, like you said, this is what you're trying to do. There yeah. needs to be more of that. I mean, I'm, of course, willing to consult out. I, I mean, I don't know the right. entertainment industry, but I can tell you, right. you know, based on yeah, personal. Like, nah, bro, don't do that. Right. Don't do this. This ain't it. You know what I mean? Like, and I feel like that's it's just that simple. Maybe I'm oversimplifying, right. but I feel like it's just like, yeah. nah, that's 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 some people no. find that insulting. Example. It really is that simple. It it really is that simple it's like how are you marketing this what what are you doing right no what did you actually like like the thing about it that people don't realize is making a film whether documentary whether feature mm -hmm. whatever it's like writing a paper for mm -hmm. where we come from okay and you have to do thorough research, research your absolutely. outline has to be tight you you know even if it's a creative writing piece it's Still has to be based on something that has happened like your air you can't be mixing up errors you can't right, be right, mixing up right. cultures you can't be mixing up dialects like you just can't do that yeah and and that's the part that i just think we need to be able to to do more of you know as far as being able to just tighten it up and then and then right. and then put it out there and i think there should right. but like you said no one wants to touch it and it's but it's interesting because there's this this battle like that that um and and i'll just add this before i don't want to take too much more of your time but like even i brought up the whole idea of beyonce and right. that whole how people responded to that but then there's also been in as far as a negative reaction to you know people who are african or considered african taking on these roles that represent you know african-american heroes like those yeah. big it was big you know lash uh, um about you know, Harriet Tubman fight, and- I think we fight the wrong people sometimes. You know? I, and I think it's a, if I have to be, okay, let me be honest. We, why are we fighting each other? There's a bigger problem here. We're gonna get distracted fighting each other to the point that we're gonna lose the money and the resources to keep telling these stories. Exactly. And if you're offended by something that somebody did, great. Because that's a conversation that needs to be had. If you like it, great. Like yeah. we also have to be open that everything isn't for everybody and Absolutely. that our stories are layered and we're not a monolith so even if it's offensive the fact that we're having a conversation about what beyond if you found what beyonce did offensive she still did her job because exactly. you're talking about talking about her. if you liked it she did her job because she showcased something yes either yes. way it's still good exactly <laughs> and i think and i think that's the best way that's the best way to put it out there um and i just want to know i just want to let you know that like yeah. whatever you're working on with these i want in Okay. I, I just gotta I listen, I just gotta find a way to fundraise for you. I don't wanna just be talking. Yeah. I gotta bring some money to the table. I get it. You know, I'm just yeah, gonna talk no, that no, talk. No, I got but you. No, I really sure. I really want to do something that can help I mean, you know, I, I spoke about the story I wanna tell being a transnational experience, but I think my ultimate goal, and I'm gonna ask you the same question, but I'm starting with me, 
my ultimate goal is that I want to bridge that gap between the African Americans and African immigrants. I want them. I want some reconciliation to happen because right. I think there okay. hasn't been right, and I think there are different ways to go about it, which I hope we can talk about off air. Um, yeah. But well, there, you, you the, have my number now, so don't be a stranger. I got you, sis. You, you, you locked in now. You ain't got no point. You do. Look, and I'm gonna have and I'm gonna have a flag next to your name, <laughs> a Sierra Leone, because you're the only one. Oh my contact. I need more. Um, but I want to be able to create some type of narrative, uh, some storytelling that can help, it, it, like like a documentary of sorts. That's one of my goals to be able to have a documentary of an experience where both parties can can put everything on the table. And mm-hmm. hopefully there can be some type of reconciliation that happens because I really, truly from from being here at a young age and also being married to someone whose ancestors were slaves and, and being, in a, you know, kind of our families tied, our kids are tied into it. Yep. It's mm-hmm. it's become something where I realized that we're very similar. We're more similar than people. Like I said, I say it all the time celebrate you know celebrate our differences and find our similarities yes we're very very similar right and then we just find ourselves and i always say that we're we're some we're we're two sisters it's like the opposite of parent trap we're like two twins who found each other but they heard so many bad rumors about each other they don't mess with each other but y'all twins (laughs) it makes no sense no sense sense. and after a while What's going to happen, especially with the African and the African-American community, is that the longer we're here, we're all going to start blending. Mm-hmm. Just like mm-hmm. the Caribbean Jamaicans have been here so long, they kind of started to blend, you know? It's already they're, happening. They're like, in fourth, like, it's going to stay, same thing is going to happen to the African-immigrant community. And then what? Exactly. No one's, and no one's going to be able to tell the difference. So exactly. then what? It's already happening, sis. Like, think yeah. about it. I mean, all the athletes, Jesus. Like, if you see all the, <laughs> the Nigerians and West Africans that are in sports, that right. are, you know, whether they were, you know, their mom or their both or whatever, like, right. they're, they're already blending, right? So it's like, what do you do? What do you do then? Who are you fighting now? Right? Like... <laughs> Because you but got we people just need to bring jollof rice to the games, like <laughs> straight up, like and let and people to the games and to the uh, family reunions and just 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 I think everything can be a teachable moment, yeah. and I think everything can be a learning experience for both parties. And I think I can't wait to that day that we actually start finding the similarities, yeah, and being like, oh, this makes you different, cool. But then look at how we're the same, yeah. So like before, before I let you go, I, I want you to take an opportunity to say, what do you want your legacy to be? I always ask people, what do you want when it, with, with filmmaking? You, you brought so many stories to light about the transnational experience, 1.5, one, you know, second generation experiences as far as, you know, not being, you know, too authentic enough to be considered African or American on either side. But what do you want to be your legacy when it's, when it's all said and done as far as storytelling goes? I want my legacy to be that I inspire people to own their stories, to Mm. be authentic and unapologetic, no matter what it, you know, what it is, right. Whether it's from in every aspect of identity. So unapologetic about their heritage, their culture, whether it's their gender, sexuality, whatever. I think everybody should just own it. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Just embrace who you are and let the world know, you know, or and and tell it like it is and tell it and tell it how you want to tell it, if yeah. that makes sense. Absolutely. So that's what I want my legacy to be. Nothing too crazy, but just people to be comfortable, own it, and and then that way if we own it and we're comfortable and we're unapologetic, then we don't have to worry about are there enough shows or representation. I think it's naturally gonna happen. Mm-hmm. 
we're gonna be pushing through doors, leaving them open, and bringing more people and in. Bringing more people in, climbing, lifting as we climb, as they say. Right? Yeah, exactly. I, I meant to. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this because my my wife did mention this, and I said I would ask you this when we watched the documentary. Did the men refuse to be part of your? <laughs> Everyone always asked that, and you know, it's coming. No, they didn't refuse. However, you know, this was me, oh, my lens. Um, I felt like every time we have these conversations, okay. right? And maybe I could just be a little biased because I felt like because my dad's so overpowering. Okay, okay. I was like, we, you know, we have them, but we don't really hear from the, you know, the women too okay. much sometimes. And I really, so the goal was to make the one about women and then make another one about men, but I ran uh, out of money. Got you, got you. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, just also because I think that there is something special about isolating women to not only get their perspective, but to also... Um, see how they react when it's just them or, mm. you know it, it, it was just something that I was doing to really just drive that home mm. and then when I really think about the conversations that we were having about and identity anxiety and things like that most of those conversations in my family were happening with the women like mm. my dad responds to everything is this is how it is this is how it goes no, 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 no. <laughs> so you know in order to do that I felt like all right why not go to you know, the people that are actually sitting down and talking about this. I'm not saying that the men didn't, right? No, but no. in my experience, that's where I literally brought people into the film that I literally had these conversations with. On a regular. Yeah. yeah. No, I, it, it, I just, I was like, I'm going to ask because I was like, she was like, we're in the world of men. I was no, like, there was like... supposed to be a male <laughs> version, but. <laughs> that bread, that money ran out. No, but listen, yeah. I, like I said, this is, you know, this has been I, I, an amazing experience. Just, I, I just want to thank you for the time. I no, lost track of time you. talking with you. This was so fun. It was fun. a really great conversation. <laughs> Remember, I really fast. Yeah, so. <laughs> no, thank you so much for the time. Again, this is Dr. Nadia Sasso. Please let everybody know how can they get in touch with you. They want to connect. They want, because I might need you to help me with my branding too, sis. But um, Look, we don't talk about so that. We can help each other. I, I think this is not going to be the end of it. But you can find me, email Nadia at NadiaMarieSasso.com. And you can follow me on all platforms at NadiaMarieSasso.com. And I look forward to connecting with everyone listening and especially connecting with you for having me on this show. Yes, yes. <laughs> Appreciate you, Doc. And thank you so much. All yeah. right. I hope you enjoyed this episode of My Black is Transnational. Special thanks to Dr. Nadia Sasso for taking the time to chat with us. If you like what you heard, please make sure that you subscribe, download the podcast on any of your favorite podcast listening platforms. Also, be sure to check out our website at www.blacktransnational.com where you can get all the information you need about the podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram at Black Transnational Podcast. Again, please make sure to rate and review the podcast. We thank you so much for listening. Until next time, my name is Dr. Kalechi Bay Lambert. My Black is Transnational. And I hope by the end of this, yours will be too. Peace.